Welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis, here for Overreaction Monday on a Tuesday. Got some football. Actually got to commit enough time to sit down and watch both a lot of college and NFL this weekend after traveling each of the last two weekends. So got some thoughts to get off my chest here about some of the games we saw on Sunday. Recording during the course of the Eagles-Cowboys game. I might tack on five minutes at the end based on the results of the Eagles-Cowboys game if that game turns out to be particularly interesting and we learn something about either of those teams. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. So there's a few ways you can help out. Number one, Subscribe to the show, whatever podcasting platform you prefer, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, all the major podcasting platforms this show is available. Slowly but surely, we're, we're, we're doing things. we got to make more things, but we're doing things. Really, subscribing to the show helps. Next, signal boosting the show on social media. Throw it a like, throw it a retweet, share it so other people can find it, other people can interact with it, and we can expand the network. Lastly, if you are an Apple Podcast user, because Apple controls the universe, you have an additional responsibility, please go to the show's page where you've already subscribed, scroll past our recent episodes. At the bottom, there are going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right, that's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says, write a review. Please take a minute, leave a written review. Leaving reviews helps podcast creators show potential employers or advertisers that their show resonates with people that people interact with the content and it makes it easier for us to do a good job on our shows god this is a fun weekend of football the one o'clock games were on something else the lions uh ravens game was amazing the jaguars cardinals game felt like a helicopter that was crashing to the ground and you didn't know who was going to get out in time before it hit the ground the new england's New Orleans game was kind of a car crash. Uh, The Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game, it it looks like Big Ben is basically done out there. I mean, he fell over just trying to throw the ball without being pressured. Seattle looks like they're on the ropes. The Rams put themselves in the contender tier. On the college side of things, Arkansas? Arkansas is here to play. They are not here to mess around this year. Clemson? The Dabo Pack? The Dabo Pack hit nice. I, I'm going to take a minute to talk about that at the at some point during the actual episode, but God, was it nice to see Dabo have to show some contrition about him fucking up. All right. I already said a few things I wanted to say during the main episode, so I'll see you guys in one second. They sent four. Seven back. Rodgers fires over the middle. Court Adams. Brings it out of the end zone. Agnew. Still running. Touchdown, Jacksonville. This is for an NFL record 66 yard on its way. It bounces off the crossbar. And it's good. Oh my god. And with that, we will get on into it. I will start with my personal favorite game of the day. Of course, Sunday Night Football, Green Bay, San Francisco. These are two teams that have been circling each other for the last three years. They've met in the NFC title game. They've played some really good regular season games. 
49ers had won the previous matchups when fully healthy with Jimmy Garoppolo when they played last year. Green Bay smoked them. But this year, this game came down to the last possession. And of course, of course, of course, it came down to Aaron Rodgers with about 40 seconds and no timeouts. And that bad man did what he does. There are few players, maybe no players in the history of the league. It's either him or Brady for the best two-minute drill quarterback. I think Mahomes might be more talented and be able to do more things because he's just faster and a little bit better at using his legs in those kinds of situations. But for all intents and purposes, we know the track record with Aaron Rodgers. We know he's got Devontae Adams out there to make plays for himself. But God, man, I... I when they scored with 40 seconds left, when Juszczyk got into the end zone, every single person said that's too much time. 40 seconds, all they need is a field goal. They'll take the fair catch. They'll get it at the 25. They need to get 45, 50 yards on the to get in the field goal range for Mason Crosby. We saw some kicking heroics yesterday, Crosby amongst them, but... These two teams are going to firmly be in the mix. San Francisco is kind of frustrating me with the way they're running their team right now. And Kyle, there might be no bigger Kyle Shanahan guy on the internet than me. I think he is a master of putting his players in a position to succeed. Really good at finding matchups to exploit. You saw George Kittle finally get into doing George Kittle things, trucking over people, carrying people on his back, big plays after the catch. And Jimmy G was rough in that first half. It took the 49ers a while to get themselves into that game. But once they started storming back, there was a part of me that did kind of feel like, hey, maybe I was right. Maybe San Francisco just is this good and they're going to be able to overcome Jimmy Garoppolo just being average. And that's what's frustrating about San Francisco is that Garoppolo is average, and he does it in the most painful way possible, where it's either he has it this drive, or he just doesn't. There's no in-between. It's either he's zipping balls into tight windows, hitting receivers, and they're moving the chains, or he's missing guys who are wide open and sailing just because he's got bad fundamentals, he's flicking his wrist too much, he's not stepping into his throws. You know, the little shit that drives you fucking nuts as someone who's bet on the 49ers who just has a vested interest in seeing a good game, because that's all we want to see as football fans. I mean, we sit here wearing the NFL logo hat like I'm Rob Lowe, I just want to see good football, and that game could have been a lot better if the 49ers actually put up a fight in that first half. But San Francisco, I think, will be fine. I picked San Francisco to win that division. I think the Rams are probably going to win that division because the Rams' offense just looks flat-out unstoppable right now. But San Francisco, I think, will be fine. They still have the Trey Lance ace in the hole out there, waiting to be called. They brought him in for the one rushing touchdown where... It was so obviously going to be a read play where either he was going to hand it off or he was going to run, and they ran a QB sweep, and he got to the edge faster than a Green Bay defender could get there. Green Bay's defense has a lot of individual guys. They don't fit particularly. The the unit as a whole does not play particularly well, but Jair Alexander is probably the second-best corner in football. They took Eric Stokes pretty high last year. They still have Darnell Savage. They've got, uh, what's it called? They've got a few good pass rushers of Rashawn Gary and the Smith brothers, but I want to see Green Bay's defense. I want to see Green Bay's defense a little bit more against good competition because so far we've seen them get smoked by New Orleans, but that wasn't really the defense's fault. We saw them bleed through the first half against Detroit, and then as the offense pulled the game away, the defense kind of 
put it together because Detroit was going to be in a passing down every every single play, and it's a little bit easier to play coverage. But the way to beat Green Bay is running the ball, and we need to see teams run the ball on them to open it up where it's going to be man coverage on the outside. San Francisco, pretty good effort, but it was a very fun game. There, there are a few things better in life than Sunday Night Football coming down to the wire with Alan Chris and the Sunday Night Football music and just... Everything about Sunday Night Football feels like a big deal, and it's one of the things the NFL does so damn well, and it's why Sunday Night Football, no matter who's playing, is always going to be a point for TV. Next game I want to talk about, Tampa and the Rams. Tampa is what everybody thought they'd be. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to be able to move the ball, but their their lack of a running game is an issue to some degree because you need to just have the threat of running the ball for balance issues because the Rams, all of their top heaviness, they can play a little bit of defense. They were able to get pressure up the middle, especially because Aaron Donald is just a monster. Jalen Ramsey dressed like Speedy Gonzalez had a pretty nice game. I liked what I saw out of the Rams, especially on offense. That Deshaun Jackson double move, they ran that play twice. The first time, I believe Stafford overthrew Deshaun Jackson, and then the second time, there was no high safety coverage, and the, the the double move worked, and Jackson caught it, started high-stepping at the five, and almost got caught from behind. But that Rams offense, man, Cooper Cup is on fire. Robert Woods looks great. They're making it work without without Daryl Henderson or Cam Akers. Tony Michelle was the lead back. That wasn't particularly inspiring. They're expecting to get Daryl Henderson back relatively soon. But the Rams... The Rams are, for at least thus far, the Rams look for real and very well could be the best team in the NFC. Granted, I want to see that offense against a good defense. So far, they haven't played a particularly good defense. They did hang 34 points on the Bears, but the Bears defense is not the Bears defense you remember from the Mitch Trubisky rookie year where they went to the playoffs. Uh... Just looking through, I mean, they played Indy kind of close, down to the wire, one-score game, but Indy not particularly threatening. I think the Rams are good at situational football. Johnny Hecker acing the hole for special teams does help, where you can flip the field pretty damn fast. The games that were on crack, man, I know the Ravens were pretty depleted injuries-wise, but how the hell was Detroit in that game? They killed... Ravens killed every single Tyson Williams fantasy owner. He had three fucking fantasy points. They're insisting on running the ball with Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray and all these guys who were good in Madden 15 and 16. Just infuriating stuff out of the Ravens. It always feels like teams like Baltimore that need to be in control of the game to call good offense. When they're not in control, they're going to have a hard time. You never want to bet on Lamar in a game where he's going to have to throw a lot or he's going to have to come from behind just because of the limitations of their passing offense. It's not a particularly creative scheme. Their receivers are fast, but as Hollywood Brown showed you, it doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't hold on to the ball. I mean, he dropped two separate touchdown passes on the same possession where if he hauls in either one, the Ravens score a touchdown, and Justin Tucker and the 66-yard field goal are unnecessary. Yes, 66 yards, that is fucking absurd i mean i remember as a kid when jason elam had the record at 63 and that was at denver with the altitude and i thought no one's ever gonna hit further than 63 maybe 64 and then matt prater got 64 in denver 
I didn't think 66 was feasible, man. I mean, Tucker took a little pro hop to kind of like the happy Gilmore step up to the ball and hit the ever-loving shit out of it. And I was watching it, the game on Red Zone with a couple of my friends, and that ball hit the upright, and it bounced up in the air, and every single one of us was holding our breath to see if it was going to come back out into the field of play or go over and be a good field goal. And then the referees both looked at each other for a second before raising their arms, and for half a second... I thought Tucker might have missed it, and when he made that field goal, the five of us went fucking nuts. One of my friends had the Ravens in a teaser. Everybody and their mother had the Ravens teased down from six and a half to a half or seven and a half to one and a half. Just, oh my God, man, poor Detroit. Detroit has had more of those kinds of games go against them than anybody, and Detroit is the frisky bad team this year. Detroit is going to be able to play with a lot of teams because their offense isn't ideal, but it is functional. They have a solid offensive line. They've got decent skill position, guys. TJ Hawkinson is pretty damn good. I like what I've seen when DeAndre Swift is healthy. It's just not... Detroit knew this wasn't going to be a good year for them. They were going to be... They were going to be up against it. They weren't going to have a dynamic playmakers on the outside. The passing game, aside from Hawkinson, isn't amazing but Swift, Hawkinson, Goff when he's not under pressure is a functional quarterback but I concerned about the Ravens to some degree granted they're coming off beating the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football they had all that extra juice they had the excitement of that game but big picture wise I think Baltimore is probably the second best team in their division. They're going to firmly be in the mix for a wild card. Very easily could win that division if if the Browns falter. I'm kind of going to write off Pittsburgh already, which probably is a mistake because Tomlin just always goes 500 for whatever reason. But Big Ben looks done. That was maybe the most demoralized and just outright bad I've ever seen a once good player look. I I mean, I'm thinking about Peyton Manning that last year in Denver where he just couldn't throw outside the numbers. He couldn't throw more than 10 yards down the field. And this might be worse than that because Big Ben just can't, he just can't move in the pocket. There were a few times where he was trying to move and his legs just weren't going. He was just not going to have any He wasn't going to be able to go anywhere. And, I mean, Najee Harris, the running back, had 18 targets as a running back in the passing game because their offensive line is so bad that Big Ben has to take the check every single time or he just can't get the ball down the field, so he has to take the check every single time. That defense without T.J. Watt did not have much of a pass rush. Joe Burrow looked pretty damn good. I liked what I saw out of the Bengals. I... The Bengals are one of those teams where it's really hard to believe in them because they're so poorly coached. But Joe Burrow is frisky. You never really want to have money against him because you always feel like all he's got to do is hit one bomb to Jamar Chase and they're right back in the game. He didn't hit a bomb to Jamar Chase, but he did throw a touchdown. Jamar Chase had two. That Bengals offense isn't great. The one offensive lineman they drafted from Clemson played pretty well yesterday. He didn't have any pressures allowed playing, I think, right guard. So... If they can round up that offense, keep them in games with their offense, they've got Jesse Bates, they've got Sam Hubbard, they've got Trey Hendrickson. There are individuals on that defense. The unit as a whole is not good, but there are individuals on that defense capable of making plays. Their offense, I like the individuals, man. I like Jamar Chase. 
I might be the biggest Joe Burrow guy on the internet. Joe Mixon, when he's healthy, is a damn good running back. You've also got Tyler Boyd. You've got T. Higgins. There are pieces on that offense you like. If they are coached better, if Burrow is not kept upright and not constantly being driven into the dirt, I think the Bengals can push six, seven wins this year, but that defense is a problem. Pittsburgh, it's going to fall apart really quick if Big Ben doesn't figure it out or they don't go to the backup. I know we've all seen enough of the Mason Rudolph experience over the years. Mason Rudolph experience, good idea for an indie rock band, but he's not going to be a functional NFL quarterback. You are not going to win enough games to make the playoffs at Mason Rudolph, period. We saw a full season of that when Ben got hurt. It was not pretty. But Pittsburgh is basically out of options here. Um, Unless Big Ben can magically figure it out and get some arm strength back to be able to take some shots, which is what they were able to do in spurts last year, and it kept them competitive where they would hit those bombs over the top to Claypool or Deontay Johnson, but that offense is just bad. Their offensive line is bad. Big Ben's decision-making is bad. Nate Tice on the Athletic Football Show was talking about it on the Monday episode where he said they need to stop calling so many RPOs for Roethlisberger because he thinks he can still make all of the throws, and he can't, when all of these should be runs. Give the ball to Harris. Let him try and take advantage of numbers in the box. You're not going to be able to do much with Ben if he's throwing the ball 50 times a game and every pass attempt is five yards or less. I mean, there was a point in that game yesterday where Big Ben had 15 completions for 98 yards. That is how incrementally dink and dunk Big Ben was throwing down the field. And it was concerning. I, I It was kind of awkward at points where me and my friends were just watching Red Zone and every time they cut to the Steelers on offense, we're like, why are they throwing short of the sticks on third and twelve? to Najee Harris behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, the last play they ran from scrimmage on offense was a fourth and 10, and he threw behind the line of scrimmage to Najee Harris. And that was the story of the game. Checkdowns because Ben didn't have anywhere to go with the ball, and he's not capable of making the throws anymore. They will need... They need to go to Haskins, they need to go to Mason Rudolph, or they need to fundamentally alter what they're going to do on offense because that shit ain't working. And if you're going to lose to the Bengals by two touchdowns, you lost to the Bengals by two touchdowns as a touchdown and a half favorite. The Steelers were seven and a half point favorites at home in that game and lost by two touchdowns. The other game that was on crack in the early window was Cardinals-Jaguars, a master class in how to not coach a football game on both sides, whether you want to talk about Kingsbury opting to kick the field goal 67, 68 yards at the end of the half. The Jaguars run it back. They go into the half with a lead. I think Cliff Kingsbury is a pretty mediocre coach. He's not great with the game management stuff. He's not good with timeouts, knowing when to call what and what situations. And Jacksonville, Jacksonville is just going to get Trevor Lawrence killed. Trevor hasn't looked great. I am a very big Trevor Lawrence guy. All Everything that Trevor Lawrence is good at is what you want in a prospect, but... The play calling has been horrendous. They ran that flea flicker where nobody got open, and Trevor tried to throw it into double coverage, and a quarter jumped it and ran it back for a pick six. He has not been good. That offense is so painfully 2014 Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett-type vanilla, where nobody's going to be able to do anything creative because that's not. there's no pre-snap motion, there's no design rollouts, there's none of using Trevor's athleticism because Trevor's so athletic. You want him 
to get outside the pocket to make plays with his legs, and the Jaguars just don't do that. They do not enable Trevor to use his body, and it's frustrating as someone who likes Trevor Lawrence as a football player. Now, if we're talking about a coach who does not put his players in a position to succeed, it's time to talk about the absolute debacle in Cleveland. The Bears, Matt Nagy, you should be mortally embarrassed. You should be ashamed to show your face in public for what you did to Justin Fields on Sunday afternoon. You had, in the year 2021, a quarterback complete six passes. You only let him throw 15, 16 times in the entire game. You only had five-man protections, like 15 of the 20 times you had him drop back. He was sacked nine times. You almost got that kid killed in his first NFL start because you're too fucking stupid to realize you can't call the same offense for Justin Fields that you do for Andy Dalton. This is part of why... That if you drafted Justin Fields back in the spring, you needed to design an offense around him because he's got a very specific skill set. You need to capitalize on the fact he runs a 4-3-40. You need to capitalize on the fact he excels at throwing on the move. You cannot expect someone whose entire college career was one receiver reads and rolling around until someone got open to just get used to being a pocket passer behind a terrible offensive line. I know the Bears are down to two second-string tackles on both ends of the line. Okay, then. Then you got to keep a tight end in the chip. You got to keep a running back in the chip. You got to use rollouts. You got to use bootlegs. You got to do something, man. The Bears had less than a hundred yards of offense. If you count the sack yardage, Fields had a net passing yard. One single yard. He had 68 yards passing and lost 67 yards on the sacks. One yard of passing in 2021 for a quarterback who could have won the Heisman two of his three years as a starter in college. Absolutely mortally embarrassed. The Browns, Browns should have scored a lot more points. They didn't really pull away in that game until the fourth quarter, even though the Bears basically had a non-functioning offense the entire game. Not a ton of explosiveness. I liked what I saw out of Odell. He was on a snap count. They limited him. They used him properly. No Jarvis Landry, so he obviously was going to have to play a little bit of a bigger role than he might have wanted. You liked what you saw out of Hooper, Harrison Bryant. I'm a big Harrison Bryant guy out of FAU, the tight end. Chubb and Hunt. Kareem Hunt had himself one of the best games of the season so far from a running back. Great out of the backfield. Nine receptions, bunch of rushing yards, a couple touchdowns, everything you would want. Chubb, as your closer, salt away the game, let him truck some guys, go between the tackles, four and five yards a clip. You really do love to see it. When the Browns have the lead, no team is going to be, maybe the Ravens, but no team, I think, is more efficient at putting the game away than the Browns because of how good their offensive lineman is and how good both of their running backs are. When you have Chubb and Hunt, you have an ability to put the game away. They didn't ask Baker to do too much. I'd like to see them get Baker little bit more spicy. He has the ability to make some more throws. I know they didn't need him to, but eventually you are going to come to a game where you need Baker to make some plays, and it'd be a good thing to get him in the rhythm of making those plays. 
in these kind of games where you're in control the entire time, where you can kind of stomp it out early and let him push it a little more aggressively. But I'm not going to second-guess Kevin Stefanski. So far, he's done a masterful job as the Browns head coach. But Matt Nagy should be embarrassed. Honestly, if I'm the GM and I'm trying to save my ass and not get fired like Ryan Pace might... I would have fired Nagy this morning for what he did to Fields yesterday and let whoever be the interim head coach and you maybe buy yourself another year because you say, I was wrong about Nagy. He doesn't know what we need. Both those guys are going to get shit canned. The Giants are going to have their pick. And, of course, going to get to talk about the New York football Giants. It's not just that they lost. It's not that they just lost on the day they retired Eli Manning's jersey. It's not just that they lost to a team that gave up 80 total points through two weeks. It's not just that they only scored 14 points against that team. It's that this was entirely preventable for the same exact reasons you lost the game to Washington. The same exact reason Joe Judge keeps losing all of these close games. He is too scared of his offense turning the ball over. And it's why they have neutered Daniel Jones. It is why nobody on the offense gets to make creative plays. It is why they take one deep shot a game. Yes, you heard me right. They had one pass attempt of longer than 15 yards in yesterday's game. It's why they don't do any zone reads consistently, even though Daniel Jones ate Washington alive running zone reads. It's why Kadarius Toney has less than 10 targets on the entire season. It's why Saquon Barkley cannot get into a rhythm. It is why they continually force the ball to guys like C.J. Board and Evan Ingram because they just want five yards at a time. That's all they want. They don't want to throw it in the, in the tight windows because they don't want Jones to turn the ball over. They don't call zone reads because they don't want him to turn the ball over. They don't call screen passes because they don't want Jones to turn the ball over. Every single thing that is wrong with the New York Giants starts with the owner. The owner who thinks he's the smartest man alive because he was born the son of an owner of an NFL team who got to be the president of football of the team because his dad died and they won two, a Super Bowl two years after his dad died. So he thought, oh, I know what I'm doing. And he let Ernie Accorsi stay way too long. He let Jerry Reese stay too long. He let Dave Gettleman's fat slob ass be in charge of this team two years too long. Everything that is wrong with the Giants is an institutional rot. Everything you hear about the college programs like Miami, like Florida State, like Nebraska, like Tennessee, that were once proud organizations that have rotted themselves out because they are chronically mismanaged. That is the New York football giants, ladies and gentlemen. They are a mortal embarrassment. I would be fucking ashamed if I was John Mara to show my face in public. The Bullshit Joe Judge says in his press conference every week makes me want to punch my TV when that smug fuck says, well, it's okay. We'll be all right, guys. We'll be all right. What through three games has given you any indication that things are going to be all right? You know who else is on your schedule, Joe Judge? The Chargers, the 49ers, the Buccaneers, the Chiefs, the Chargers. Just you are going to get your shit pushed in. You are going to go to Kansas City on Monday Night Football in a couple of weeks, and you are going to get embarrassed. Tyreek Hill is going to go for 400 yards against your defense because you have no pass rush to speak of, and he's just going to get to do the scramble drill down the field until he gets open. Travis Kelsey might have 200 yards receiving because the Giants still can't guard a fucking tight end. The Giants are an embarrassment. 
embarrassment. How do you keep making the same mistakes in these games and losing them? How do you punt on 4th and 3 from the Falcon side of the field in a tie game? You know Atlanta scoring if you give them the ball back because of the way your luck has been all year, Joe. You know Atlanta's going to score on that last possession. You know they have a good kicker in Young Way Koo. You know he's going to hit a field goal if he gets even close. And the Falcons aren't good. Matt Ryan is pretty cooked. Calvin Ridley gets open but has drops. Kyle Pitts has been a total non-factor. They are using Cordarrelle Patterson as a lead running back. This team is horrendous. And you let them hang around because you are too fucking stupid to learn from your own mistakes. That is why I'm so mad, and I'm getting mad about this again a day after the fact. These are the same mistakes as last year. You are punting when you should be going for it. You are not letting Jones do what he's good at. The only two things Daniel Jones can do is run with the ball and throw it deep down the field. And you took one deep shot and you had zero zone reads. Saquon Barkley has been a non-factor through three weeks. Aside from his one 40-yard run in week two, he has been a non-factor on offense. Kenny Galladay has been a non-factor. Evan Ingram, Kadarius Toney, all of them non-factors. The only giant who's been good on offense is Sterling Shepard, and the poor guy got hurt during the game and had to leave, and they didn't have him in the second half. That would have been a golden opportunity to get Tony and Galladay into the rhythm of the game, and they still didn't fucking do it. I'm, I'm, I'm so tired of getting mad about the Giants. And uh, more or less, I'm numb to it at this point. I hope they lose every game by 10 touchdowns. So the dumb owner thinks maybe I'm the problem. As opposed to just f hiring the GM, firing the head coach, and bringing in two new dipshits. Because that's the problem. John Mayer is the owner of the team, and he's the president of football operations. His brother is the director of personnel and the vice president of the team. The current general manager is only the general manager because his old general manager worked with Dave Gettleman in their front office 15 years ago, and Ernie Acorsi, who was the GM when Gettleman was one of the scouts, recommended him as the general manager. The assistant general manager, Kevin Abrams, has been in, in the front office since the 90s. All of these people are buddy-buddy with John Mara. John Mara has no fucking clue what it takes to win football games. He won two Super Bowls because he got lucky. Eli played great. The defensive line played great. Terrific. You got fucking lucky. Teams that are 20-1, to 30-1 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl, don't win the Super Bowl. You got lucky, and you think it was logic. You think you knew what you were doing. You don't. You have no clue. You want to fix the Giants, hire a president of football operations that is not related to you or already with the team, and start over. Trade everything that is not nailed down. Anything. The only player I think I'd keep right now is Andrew Thomas. Everybody else, hit my line. I'll eat the dead cap on Kenny Galladay, on Leonard Williams, trade Bradbury, cut Blake Martinez, cut Nate Solder. If someone wants Jones, if someone wants Barkley... If someone wants Jabril Peppers, if someone wants Julian Love or Dory Jackson, eat the dead cap. Trade Evan Ingram's bum self. Trade anything that's not nailed down. Trade anything that's not Andrew Thomas. And sure, Kadarius Tony, because they just drafted him. Trade everything else. Start over. Get a real president of football operations that's not the owner. 
Get a director of player personnel that's not the owner's brother. Get a general manager who doesn't know the owner of the team. Start completely over, and maybe you can win more than 10 games in three years combined. The Giants are going to be lucky to win three games this year. That is it. The Giants may win three games this year, and that's assuming they can beat the Eagles once and Dallas once. Aside from that, they got a game with Miami, maybe, and a game with the Raiders on the at MetLife, maybe. You got four maybes as your wins. That's unacceptable for a team that has spent as much as they have in free agency and has had as much draft capital as the Giants have had the last few years. You men- I mentioned the Chiefs earlier in regards to the Giants playing them. I'm so impressed with Justin Herbert, and I didn't think Justin Herbert was that good coming out of college. Oregon was not using him to his strong suits, and Herbert just makes some throws, man, where you see that ball whip out of his hand, and you're just in awe of how hard and how accurate he's able to get the ball into tight windows. And that was the first time in maybe my life where I kind of felt like the Chargers were going to win a close game, and it's entirely because of Herbert. Granted, Brandon Staley put his nuts on the table and went for it a couple times when I would have went for it in a way that was aggressive that Anthony Lynn or Ken Wisenhorn or Mike McCoy wouldn't have. But good on good on Brandon Staley for realizing he's got a special talent at quarterback and letting him just sling that ball because he's got the arm talent to do it. Good on them for putting Mike Williams in a situation where he's going to get to be a true X receiver. Keenan Allen was outstanding. Austin Eckler had a couple nice plays. The offensive line is actually giving Herbert some time in the pocket for once, which is nice to see. But I do think it is worth mentioning here that the Chargers would not have won this football game if Patrick Mahomes did not turn the ball over three separate times. That is maybe the first time in his career where I felt like Mahomes was trying to do a little bit too much, where he was kind of getting too cute and... Granted, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league right now. I'm not going to argue it. I'm not taking anyone over him. Not a chance in hell. But sometimes, Patrick, just just take the first down. You don't always have to get the 30-yard touchdown down the field. I mean, they ra- he ran the uh, fake the no-look pass again, and it got intercepted because he was getting too cute with it. Granted, it did hit his receiver in the hands. Patrick, just look where you're throwing the ball. I know you think you're being cool. Your receiver didn't know the ball was coming because you weren't looking at him, and that was an interception that led to a Chargers touchdown. You really missed some easy opportunities there to win that game. The Chiefs will be fine at 1-2 and in last place in that division. They're still minus 115 to win that division, even though they are in last place. Every team in that division looks decent. Even Denver, who's played nobody so far, is at least competent. Teddy Bridgewater is the perfect game manager quarterback. He will not do anything flashy, but he won't lose you the game. And if you've got good players around him and a solid defense, that's good enough. That said, Denver could have rolled out their preseason 90-man team and beaten the Jets yesterday. Jets Jets couldn't move the ball. Their defense isn't horrendous, but that offense was inept yesterday. And I understand... You don't have your best player in Mekhi Becton. I understand it's a rookie quarterback, a first-time play caller. I understand your number one receiver is a little bit dinged up. I understand Jamison Crowder wasn't 100%. I understand all of that. To get shut out in a game where you threw the ball that many times, I understand Wilson is getting crushed behind a bad offensive line. 
That's just, uh, that's a, you actually break out the film and you set it on fire in front of the team type game if you're Robert Sala because that's just unacceptable to get shut out in a football game. You couldn't get a field goal. You couldn't get a garbage time touchdown. That offense was broken. The poor kid who does the Jets breakdown on TikTok got the digital media copyright acted, got his account suspended for tweeting the highlight, but... Zach Wilson running for his life every play. He doesn't have time to properly process what's going on down the field. He's hitting receivers in the hands and dropping them. He's still throwing too many interceptions. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong for the Jets. That is what is concerning for me. And that's I was saying that as someone who was pretty high on Zach Wilson last year. I was pretty high on him. I thought you could make an argument for him as the second quarterback in the class behind Lawrence. But it's not been pretty so far for the Jets and Zach Wilson. Lots of turnovers and lots of plays that are broken from the start. There's the play floating around where three players are on the right side of the formation and they all run right behind each other in single file about five yards down the field and no one gets open and Zach Wilson gets sacked. That's the kind of shit that just can't be happening on a professional football team. A high school team, okay, maybe. You just get the play relayed wrong so the receivers don't get the right information. That's unacceptable if you are an NFL team. Just flat out. You can't have three guys running to the same spot when you know your offensive line is bad. The state of football in the New York area is beyond repulsive, and I'll definitely have some Jet fans, some Giant fans, try and get some media people on to talk about this. But at some point, there is no coming back from this kind of ineptitude. You become the Bengals, you become the Lions, the Jaguars. Giants haven't been good in five seasons. The Jets haven't been good in about six seasons, the year, the Fitzpatrick year, where they almost made the playoffs. Five years of picking in the top ten of the draft is bad. That is, you are the Lions, Jaguars, etc. Eventually, people are going to stop coming. John Mara is a sensitive little bitch, and he'll get his fucking lackeys in the media to write puff pieces about how they're trying so hard and that things will be different no matter who they bring in. And the Jets always get the LOL Jets as opposed to this is a shame. And it's one of the theories I've been working on is just how loyal you should be to a team that just openly disrespects your intelligence as a human being like the Giants do, like the Jets do, like the Rangers have been doing, like the Knicks did for all of those years, like the Mets do sometimes. Just openly insulting the intelligence of its fan base and then still asking us for money and emailing us and calling us, trying to get us to buy season tickets and to buy merchandise and shit we don't need to support teams that are awful. And I'll admit it, I thought the Giants were going to be respectable. I thought they win six, seven games, clearly going in the right direction. I thought the defense would be decent. I thought the offense would get to the bottom half of the league, get to like 20th in points per game instead of 30th. You can make the playoffs with the 20th highest points per game. You cannot make the playoffs scoring 16 points a game, 17 points a game, 18 points a game. If you score 21, 22 points a game, you can sneak in if you have a good defense. The Giants don't. The one game that I didn't know what to make of going into it, but I think we clearly can begin to draw some determinations from was Washington at the Bills. Josh Allen looked pretty good. I'm still not 
totally convinced the Bills are going to be as good as they were last year just because I think last year was like the best possible scenario and you just you can't bank on someone being that good consistently until they do it consistently and when I say someone I mean Josh Allen but Allen looked good yesterday four passing touchdowns one rushing touchdown got all his receivers incorporated the Dawson Knox touchdown was a nice throw two to Emmanuel Sanders they still don't have a running game but they didn't have one last year and that's not a concern you got a couple nice plays from the defense Trey White goalie academy had a nice peanut punch for a fumble Washington is exactly what I thought they were I always said it would be Dallas probably to win the division. I didn't think Philly would be good. And as I'm recording this, Philly is hanging around with Dallas. But I think Dallas is clearly the class of the NFC East. And Washington, that defense, it's just not as good as it was last year. They are not getting pressure as much. They are not getting those turnover plays that they did last year. Chase Young is not a human game wrecker. He's still good. He's just not the game wrecker he was last year. The Bills look like they've righted the ship to some degree, but I think the Bills are going to be the beneficiary of being in a bad division. New England, who I'm about to talk about, has been pretty bad, uh, just outright bad. I mean, they have one win, and it came against the Jets team that got shut out by the Broncos. They got pretty, pretty thoroughly handled by the Saints, and I'm going to talk about it in a sec. The Jets are dead on arrival. The Dolphins are rolling with Jacoby Brissett. Enough said. The Bills, I think, win that division probably 11 wins, 12 wins, as opposed to the 13 I gave them in my preseason preseason picks. But 11 wins get you in. Maybe host a playoff. Probably You'll host one playoff game as the division winner. Probably 11 wins get you a home game. And then you'll have a date with either Baltimore, Kansas City, maybe the Chargers, maybe the Raiders. But so, you'll, be, you'll be in the playoffs if you're Buffalo. New England does not have a functional offense right now. I know it's early, and I've said that about a number of teams. I said it about the Jets, the Bears, the Giants, about just an offense that can move the ball. New England is not moving the ball at all. Josh McDaniels kind of looks bad, just outright bad. McCorkle, yes, McCorkle, that's jokingly what I call Mac Jones, not been great. Uh, His decision-making is decent. He does not have the talent to make those tight window throws. His receivers aren't doing him any favors. The Janu fumble was particularly egregious. Some of the decisions in terms of personnel, there was an entire sequence where they just ran the ball with Brandon Bolden three times, and Brandon Bolden runs as slow as I do laterally, and I don't understand why they ran the ball with him multiple times in a row against a defense like New Orleans that is amazing against the run. And maybe New England will be better in games where they're able to run the ball and use play action and the tight ends in the middle of the field. But New Orleans, man, their offense might be maddeningly inconsistent, and they still use Taysom Hill too much, and Jameis might be the human highlight reel. But that defense is legit, man. They do not let you run the ball on them. Their corners and safeties are playmakers. They had two pick sixes in that game. How aggressive. The Malcolm Jenkins one was so easy. He started jogging when he still had like five yard. He still he started jogging like the 15-yard line on a pick six, which tells you how far away he was from everybody else. I don't know what to make of New Orleans yet. I thought they were going to be decent. I picked them to win, I believe, 11 games in my preseason totals, and... I think they can certainly do that. They are going to have to split with Tampa and probably Carolina. And I don't know if Carolina is actually good or if Carolina is just a beneficiary of their schedule so far. 
And I know Carolina beat the Saints pretty handily last week, but that was a pretty weird game. Uh, 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 two weeks ago, week two, the uh, Saints lost to the Panthers. But <clears throat> Jameis, man, roller coaster. He's still not playing particularly well in that offense. I think he had less than 200 yards passing again. The one touchdown pass he had <laughs> went to Marquez Callaway, where he threw it like it was a Hail Mary, even though they were on like the 15-yard line, and Callaway won the jump ball. Absolutely amazing stuff. Jameis is so fun to watch, man. Jameis might be the player I'm most excited when Red Zone cuts to his game, aside from maybe Tyreek Hill, where just you have no idea what's going to happen when Scott Hansen says, all right, let's go to New Orleans, or let's go to New England, at the Saints at New England, to see Jameis Winston here. He might throw a pick six. He might fumble the ball 40 yards backwards. He might throw it off a one foot and into triple coverage and get a completion. Jameis Winston is one of the most entertaining players in all of football, and that was very, very fun to see. Other games I haven't really talked about yet, but don't really have a ton to say. Seattle, that defense is just bad. They lost to Minnesota. Minnesota, I don't know how good they are yet. They've had some weird games. Minnesota could arguably be 3-0 and if they could just manage the game a little bit better, but that offense looks pretty good. It's just a matter of keeping Kirk Cousins from getting COVID because if Kellen has to start, they're absolutely fucked. But that offense moved the ball up and down the field on Seattle pretty easily. They got a couple turnovers. They managed to not let Tyler Lockett murder them before he got injured and had to leave. DK Metcalf had a couple big chunk plays, but to hold Seattle... 17 points, that's pretty good for a defense that looked pretty sketchy the first couple weeks of the season. Miami and the Raiders, Miami's bad, just flat out. I know they're playing with Jacoby Brissett, but they can't pass protect at all. Their receivers are good after the catch, but you got to get them the ball so they can make people miss after the catch. Their running game. I like all the running backs. I like Miles Gaskin. I like the other guys. I like Mike Gesicki. I like their talent, but they need a quarterback. And their defense is very reliant on turnovers because they give up a lot of points. And if they don't get those turnovers, they are not nearly as good of a defense. And I repeat it all the time on the podcast here, but turnovers do not carry over to year to year. And it is why the best defense every year changes it is why even the dominant ones like the jaguars the year they went to the afc title game or pittsburgh last year they're gonna have a very hard time repeating that level of success when you are so reliant on turnovers because you cannot scheme to force turnovers you can have players that take risks or make plays to try and force them but there's no way of guaranteeing them and if you cannot consistently create them like the dolphins have the last two seasons you are going to have a hard time on defense and it's why the raiders looked as good as they did and raiders without josh jacobs still Carr has looked pretty damn good. Carr, probably top five in the MVP discussion. Gruden probably will get some Coach of the Year buzz. I think Staley will probably end up winning it because I think the Chargers will get into the playoffs because I think the Chargers just have more talent than the Raiders. But Raiders aren't bad. The Raiders are hanging around. And that's the kind of game in the first two years of John Gruden's tenure there, second tenure there, that they would lose because they'd turn the ball over late or they'd get stopped late in the game. And... When they're in control, the Raiders are very good because Carr can make a lot of the throws. They've got Waller, Brian Edwards, Ruggs, Renfro, who's a great third-down wide receiver. Really good stuff from the Raiders. And what's the only game? Oh, and the only other game I haven't talked about yet. Indianapolis and Tennessee. I think it's safe to say the AFC South race is over and that the Colts are going to win that division. The Colts... 
are done. Tennessee will win that division. They might only get nine wins, and Tennessee can win that division. Tennessee's defense is god-awful. They can't get a pass rush to save their lives. They have no good defensive backs. Their linebackers can't cover the middle of the field. If they can outscore you, they'll be fine, but A.J. Brown left the game hurt. Julio Jones didn't play in the second half, which is concerning. Derrick Henry is still a fucking amazing, but if there's no receivers, if Jones and A.J. Brown are both hurt, they are screwed because they are not going to be able to win games with their third and fourth wide receivers. That is a major, major concern if you are Tennessee. But on the bright side for them, they play in a division with the Colts, who have Carson Wentz, who is actively bad, the Jaguars, who have maybe the worst coaching staff in football, and the Texans, who have the least talented roster in football. So if you're Tennessee... You just got to get to nine wins. Hell, you might be able to win that division with eight wins, and it won't matter. As long as you beat everyone else in your division, hell, you might be able to win that division with seven game, seven wins. If you just win your division games, if you're Tennessee, you'll be all right. Indy stinks. Carson Wentz is awful. Carson Wentz is legitimately awful. He has no feel for the pocket. He has no feel for his arm strength. He misses guys who are wide open. He doesn't have the same mobility he did pre-knee injury and hasn't been the same ever since that knee injury in that game against the Rams. Now, really quick, college-wise, Clemson's done. Clemson's done this year. They need to go back to the drawing board. They have had two amazing quarterbacks back-to-back in Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Tony Elliott, their OC, is not used to having to make their quarterback's life easier. He's been... Decent. Clemson, since Clemson lost to LSU in the national title game two years ago, their offense hasn't been the same. They've graduated so many guys on the offensive side of the ball, running backs, receivers, two quarterbacks, a bunch of defensive linemen. They still probably have the most talent of any team in that ACC because the ACC is not that talented. But big picture, Ohio State who's not that good, Alabama, who is that good, Georgia, Oklahoma, Oregon, Penn State, even, Iowa maybe. Clemson ain't touching any of those teams, man. Clemson can't score. They they gave... They could not break 20 against NC State. DJ Uyunglele has not looked great. Granted, it's not entirely his fault that offense has been a ticking time bomb waiting to explode in terms of just lack of creativity. I mean, you saw it last year in the game against Ohio State where Trevor Lawrence just got killed because nobody was getting open downfield. And yes, they have graduated so many receivers to the NFL. It was natural that through attrition they were going to lose some talent and have to figure out a passing game. But their offensive line isn't good enough to run the ball. None of their receivers get separation and get open. And Uyunglele is running for his life in a bad in a scheme that isn't working, and it's no wonder they can't score any points. Other than that, you know, Alabama took care of their FCS game. Penn State didn't cover against Villanova, which is a little bit disappointing. Arkansas, the big upset, which was good. Colorado State hung around with Iowa for a while, which is very weird because Colorado State is an FCS team, and Iowa... 
looks to be pretty damn good. I know Penn State leapfrogged them in the rankings for some reason, even though Penn State didn't look particularly good against Villanova. Iowa didn't look that good either. Oklahoma did not look particularly good at West Virginia. Came down to the last drive for them in Morgantown. Had to watch that game out. Was paying 90% attention to it and like 5% attention to my friends around me and mostly focused on trying to watch the game without any noise and trying to focus on what was a pretty ugly game. And I know the Spencer Rattler hype train has effectively crashed off of a bridge and has sunk into the bottom of an ocean at this point, but... Maybe Lincoln Riley isn't an absolute genius. I know Rattler's arm talent is there, but he's not making the best decisions. He's not finding open guys. I, 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 Every single time I looked up at the TV and I saw Bob Stoops' kid being the receiver catching the ball, I was a little bit concerned for Oklahoma. Like, I know he's there legitimately. Like, he had decent high school career, and he's not just there because he's a legacy but sheesh, man, if your best receiver is a short white guy who is the old coach's kid, that's just not that, that's just not a good look. Maybe Oklahoma's not as good as I thought they were. Miami is broken. Florida State is broken. I want I want chaos this year, man. Give me like Wake Forest to win the ACC at this point. I think Oklahoma will win the Big 12 by default unless Texas beats them and then maybe Texas beats them, but I don't know about that. Maybe Arkansas can give out. My hope is that Ole Miss gives Alabama a game this weekend. That is my genuine hope. If Alabama gets a game and Ole Miss beats them, that opens the door to some fun possibilities where we could get a weird team in, whether it be Oregon whether it be Wake Forest out of the ACC, if Wake can win the ACC with that crazy offense, maybe a Penn State if they can beat Ohio State and still end up losing to Michigan or Iowa at Iowa. Penn State has to go to Iowa next week. Penn State has Indiana this week. Indiana looks pretty dead. Michael Penix has not been good this year coming off of that knee surgery. The Tom Allen hype train that I talked about with Gabriella Carroll last week after last season where they were pretty competitive with Penix's backup, That that's dead. Indiana's dead. Other than that, man, it's early in the college landscape, but it does seem like we are kind of right that Alabama, Georgia, Iowa, those schools hanging around. Penn State looks a little bit better than I expected them to. Oregon looks better than I expected them to, but we're going to learn a lot in the next two weeks with a lot of these teams. Georgia's going to have a date with Florida pretty soon. We're going to get Georgia-Arkansas relatively soon. There are some good games on the docket on the horizon. Penn State has two great games where they're going to go to Iowa, and then they're going to go to Columbus. Those games will decide who wins the Big Ten, basically, math-wise, because with one loss, non-conference, Ohio State, if they run the rest of the table the rest of the way, they'll get in. We saw it in 2016 where Penn State had two losses, one of them non-conference, one of them where they got blown out by Michigan. Even though they beat Ohio State head-to-head, Ohio State only had one loss. They put in Ohio State over them. I want to see parity. I want to see a team that has not made the playoff before in the playoff. Not holding my breath because the playoff is so territorial. Really quick, before I get everyone out of here, going to try and keep it under an hour. The look-ahead lines for week three. Some interesting numbers out there. I was not particularly good with my line guessing. Thursday night football, Jaguars at the Bengals. Bengals seven-and-a-half-point favorites. I know I said this last week about Jacksonville and on principle that the Bengals aren't good enough to cover seven points, but I said it about Arizona that they're not good enough to cover seven. They ended up covering. They won by 12. 
There's no way in hell the Bengals are good enough to cover seven and a half, man. They're just not. Uh, I think that's a good opportunity to tease the Bengals down to one and a half. I think that's a good number to play with. Tennessee at the Jets. Tennessee, only seven and a half point favorites. I know we got to see about A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Depending on their availability, that might be a Jet play. Just on principle, I know I said this about them against Denver last week when Denver was a ten and a half point favorite, but the Jets can't get shut out two weeks in a row, right? Right? The Lions at the Bears. The Bears are three-point favorites. I think I'm going to bet the Lions outright as a money line dog. We got our money line dog to hit with the Chargers last week, which is good. Indianapolis at Miami. Miami's a point-and-a-half favorite. Not touching that with the 10-foot pole. The Browns at the Vikings. The Vikings are one-point underdogs as a home team. I think I'm going to bet the Browns, depending on the health. Jarvis Landry, if Landry can go, I probably will bet the Browns. But their defense is going in the right direction. I still don't know if Minnesota's offense is actually good or if they're just taking advantage of bad teams. The Washington football team at Atlanta. Atlanta is a one-point home favorite. I will probably bet the Washington football team and hate my existence for betting legal money on Tyler Heineke. That sucks. Houston at the Bills. The Bills are 17.5-point favorites. This is the biggest number so far this year. I don't think you can, in good conscience, bet 17.5 on an NFL game. Numbers this big rarely get covered at the NFL level. I think you bet Houston on principle, and you hold your breath, and you puke it up if you need to, but I don't think you can bet Buffalo 17.5. The Giants at the Saints. Saints, eight-point favorites. First game back in the Superdome since... Hurricane Ida. Saints are winning that game. They might win that game by five touchdowns. The Giants can't score. They can't run the ball. The Saints have the maybe the best run defense in the league. They are going to beat the shit out of the Giants. And God, I can't wait to see how fucking miserable Joe Judge's smug ass is after getting killed again. Is he going to say he's proud of his team for competing hard when they lose by three touchdowns to Jameis Winston? Are they... Kansas City at Philadelphia. The Chiefs are five-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I don't think the Chiefs can go one and three. I know it sounds weird to say the Chiefs are one and three. This is the first time the Chiefs are under 500 since 2015. I don't know if five-and-a-half is too much. I don't know how good the Eagles are yet. I know they're playing the Cowboys right now, and this game is kind of weird. The Monday night game is always hard to judge. It's always hard to judge the teams that are playing on Monday night going into the next week's games for the look-ahead lines. Five and a half is a lot for a road team, especially from coming from the central time zone to the eastern time zone. You don't know if Andy Reid is going to be coaching the Chiefs. Andy Reid left the game against the Chargers. He had to go to the hospital after the game. Wasn't feeling well. If Eric Bieniemy is calling the offense, I think that is a point or two in Philadelphia's favor. I think this line will probably move in Philadelphia's direction just because people feel like five and a half points is too much for a team on the road. Carolina at Dallas. Cowboys are four and a half point favorites. I don't trust Mike McCarthy ever anymore after what he did last year on the opening night opening night game against the Rams where he could not cover three and a half points as a road dog with that offense against a pretty early in the season Rams defense that was still trying to tune some things up. Seattle, San Francisco. This might be Seattle loser leaves town. If Seattle loses this game, Seattle is going to have a steep, steep uphill battle back into that division race. Seattle's defense is horrendous. I think San Francisco finally gets their running game right against that bad Seattle defense. They let Garoppolo only manage the game. He doesn't have to do too much. 
Hopefully they slowly incorporate Trey Lance a little bit more aside from just things in the red zone. I want to see San Francisco put themselves back on the right track. Coming off a loss, I feel like three and a half is a little rich. I know the full three points for home field. I don't know how much that home field matters. I mean, you saw Green Bay go down the field in 40 seconds. Yes, that's Aaron Rodgers, but Russell Wilson is pretty good at those end-of-game situations too. Every single time Seattle plays San Francisco, I feel like weird shit happens where you get weird field goals to end the game because the Seahawks have never played in a normal game ever. The other NFC West game, yes, I said NFC West game because it is a divisional matchup. The Arizona Cardinals at, I almost said St. Louis, at the LA Rams. The Rams are six and a half point favorites. Everybody and their mother is going to tease the Rams down to a half point. I like the Rams in this game. I don't think Arizona is good. I don't trust Cliff. I do not trust Cliff Kingsbury. Sean McVay is a better coach. That is my entire rationale. I will definitely be putting the Rams in a teaser and hating my life when I lose because the Cardinals kick a field goal. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay, six and a half points. I think you go three legs. I think you go Green Bay. I think you go the Rams. And I think you go... Think you go with the Chiefs. Those are your three legs for a six-point teaser, and I think you get pretty good value on that three-leg teaser. Big Ben is done. If TJ Watt is not playing, the Packers might hang 50 points on that defense because we saw what we saw what um why am I drawing a blank on who the Steelers? Oh, we saw Joe Burrow and the Bengals hang 24 points on them. God knows what Aaron Rodgers is going to do to that defense if he's got all day in the pocket like Joe Burrow did yesterday. Rodgers looks right. That offense looks right. They need another skill position guy. I would like them to go and trade for a wide receiver. I'd like them to try and get Sterling Shepard or someone from the Giants just so the Giants can get another pick. God, I'm so mad about the Giants still. I, I know I shouldn't be mad. I know I should have expected the Giants to fuck it up at some point on Eli Manning Day, but... Uh, Green Bay in that spot, terrific. The Ravens, who are down a couple guys at the Broncos. Denver is a one-point favorite. I will be betting the Ravens. I probably will be betting the Ravens outright money line as opposed to the one point, getting a point. There's no point. Tampa Bay at New England, the Brady homecoming game. Tampa, five-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I guess six-and-a-half, it's five-and-a-half. New England basically doesn't have a functioning offense right now, and I know Tampa's defense hasn't looked particularly good. There's no way Tampa's losing this game. There is no chance Tampa is losing this game. Brady is going to have all those guys breathing fire just to stick it up Belichick's ass. The Patriots don't have a functioning offense. Tampa Bay can score 30 points in the blink of an eye. If they get Antonio Brown back, that helps. No Antonio Brown definitely made a difference having to use a little bit more Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson out there. That's a little bit concerning. Gronk getting hurt, having to leave, coming back. You don't know how healthy he is. Cameron Brake got some work in there. I am a Cameron Brake guy still, mostly based off of how he plays in Madden. But hey, let me live here. I, I do like the Madden superheroes like him, like John Ross, like Andy Isabella, guys like that who are good in Madden but not in real life. 
I will say the NBC commercial with the Adele song for this game was very funny. The hello from the other side, that was very funny. I, I did appreciate whatever person put that together. That was very funny. Lastly, Monday Night Football, this should be a treat. Vegas at the Chargers. We've had some really fun Vegas Chargers games, Raiders Chargers games. Anytime in a two AFC West teams that aren't the Broncos play on Monday Night Football, weird shit happens. Like there was that one Chiefs Raiders game that had four pass interference penalties in a row before the Raiders eventually won the game down with like less than 10 seconds to go. The Chargers, three and a half point home favorites. I will be betting the Chargers. I will not feel particularly good about it. The board is very good for this week. There is a lot, a lot of value. Stay tuned. The Friday episode, I'll give you some picks. We'll preview each game with a little bit more depth, some matchups, that kind of thing. Not sure what the rest of this week is looking like. We will probably do baseball. We probably will have a hockey episode because hockey season is slowly getting rolling. We had some preseason games start over the weekend. The Rangers played a preseason game. Looked like dog shit. I don't care about preseason hockey. I was watching football. I was watching the NASCAR race, and I was watching WWE's Extreme Rules pay-per-view. NASCAR playoffs are getting fun now. You get two fun tracks in a row where you get Talladega and the Charlotte Roval. So weird shit is going to happen. Maybe we get a surprise winner. Denny Hamlin winning at Vegas. Denny's Denny. I hope Denny wins the championship. I I just hope it's not Kyle Larson. I don't like Kyle Larson. Lewis Hamilton won at Sochi. Lewis Hamilton doing Lewis Hamilton things. Basketball news is starting to get rolling. We'll definitely have LeVant stop by in a couple days, maybe sometime next week, just to kind of set the table for the NBA season heating up. Got to do a little bit more soccer. I got an idea for a good episode we could do soccer-wise next week. Got two people lined up for different soccer episodes. Talk about Chelsea. Talk about Barcelona. Barcelona are broken in a way, kind of like the Giants are broken. So parallels to draw about once good organizations that have been run amok by stupid people. With all of that said, that is over an hour, which is way more than I like to usually do for solo episodes. If I have a guest, I don't mind going over an hour because we usually conjecture, but you can only listen to me talk for so long before you get tired of my voice. So I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good Tuesday.